mic check, please. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks Limit Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you, the DU Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm Mike Brazier. I'm going to be your host on this episode. And today's discussion is going to be partly in response to a listener comment that we received earlier this year. A guy by the name of, uh, or his handle is Redboat Mark, asked us if we could do uh, an episode on on a, a portion of the Pacific Flyway Goose Forecast. And there's a little bit of nuance to his request. We couldn't actually do exactly what he wanted to. We're going to follow up on that a little bit more. But we kind of morphed this a little bit to do a Pacific Flyway overall uh, goose forecast. And whenever we began to sort of explore that idea, I knew exactly who I wanted to join us for that. We've had him on the on the podcast before. He's within Ducks Unlimited. He has a lot of knowledge about goose in the Pacific Flyway, and that is Kelly Warren, Ducks Unlimited Regional Biologist for Western Oregon. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Mike. So, Kelly, I referenced you as sort of being the, the person that I wanted to go to, and, and I do consider you one of, if not the, sort of expert of Pacific Flyway geese within Ducks Unlimited. There may be other people out there that would take issue with that. But but from my perspective, kind of given the, the way you've helped us in the past, I wanted to bring you back on and talk about this topic of, of you know, a Pacific Flyway goose forecast to the best we can. And before we get into that, I wanted to give you an opportunity to reintroduce yourself to the listeners and tell us of all the different ways in which you oh, thanks, kind of Mike. come uh, to be fascinated so with Kelly geese Warren, and knowledgeable and live, of geese uh, there in Dallas, the Pacific Flyway. Uh, Oregon. Uh, growing up, I my passion was going after geese in the Willamette Valley, and we lived in an area that has very strict regulations on uh, goose hunting. We have dusky Canada geese here, which are a low population and are are protected uh, by bag limits. We used to have check stations where you had to take in all your geese, but the where the crux comes is you have to identify duskies from six other subspecies of Canada geese that winter in the area. So hunters are required to take a test and pass that test. And for years we had to do check stations and you basically get what is called your permit zone validation. So basically a permit to hunt in certain areas of Oregon and Southwest Washington. So that spurred passion very early for the amount of differences in sizes and colors of geese that we have in our area. Uh, And then what originally started me just in the wildlife field in general was my grandfather and my dad, uh, who took me out to the duck blind at a very young age and taught me not only the importance about hunting, but the importance about conservation. Uh, So that is kind of where it all began. And then, uh, in 2006, I partnered with ODF&W and uh, 
Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife and Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife and put together the study guide for taking that test to hunt geese in Oregon and Washington. And to this day, I work uh, off and on with ODFNW and WFW to uh, improve that guide for purposes in hunter education. And did you did you work for the state at any point in your career? Have you been with DU ever since you got out of school? So I, uh, I did work for the state. I work for Oregon Watershed Enhancement Board, who did basically focuses on watershed health and habitat uh, through acquisitions, conservation, and restoration projects. They're a, kind of a state funding agent and see for all the people on the ground doing the work. Uh, so I worked for them for a couple years and then went to grad school. Uh, in grad school, I uh, got my master's of environmental management and worked up in Alaska for several summers, uh, which is some of my connections up there is where I got the information uh, for this podcast today is those connections up there that we're doing all the all the on the ground surveys this summer and uh, and are the people that uh, help identify how populations are doing uh, and then I actually work for uh, uh, con- uh, Confederate tribes of Warm Springs uh, for several years as an acquisition and restoration sp- uh, person in the Willamette Valley here. Uh, and then getting the job for DU, I've been with DU for four years now, and it's been a dream to have a job that associates with waterfowl and really focuses on every aspect of habitat, waterfowl, and uh, you know having an impact on an area that's that's important to me and I grew up in. So all of it kind of came to a head and and being able to work for DU here in Western Oregon. Well, and it's pretty cool that you're able to maintain those connections to to the goose resource. I know. You- you, you mentioned the, the the previous work that you did in Alaska that helped you develop some of the relationships. But if I'm not mistaken, I think you you seek out opportunities every now and then to go back and help with some volunteer work, or do you just or do you just sort of facilitate maybe other people getting to do those type of volunteer uh, work work assignments up there? All all of the above. Um, So in Oregon and Washington, we also have DU has a Dusky initiative uh, where we uh, uh, and Greg Green, um, my supervisor, heads that up. And that's forming relationships with uh, Forest Service up in Cordova, Alaska, specifically focusing on Dusky Canada geese and the habitat on the breeding grounds. And we fund an intern position every year for a college student to go up there and do on the ground work with duskies and what an awesome experience that is is for them and uh i believe there is a there is a um, blog that you can go online and uh follow that person's work this summer i believe that intern is is over with internship is over with now but he uh he did a great job this year let me see if i can pull up his name but um, and then I was fortunate enough last year uh, to go help Alaska Department of Fish and Game, who heads up to Dusky Collaring, and uh, I was able to go um, ban and collar Dusky Canada geese, which was a pretty cool dream for me because uh, I've I've only worked with them on the wintering grounds doing collar surveys, and uh, so actually to get get the get to squeeze a few of them and put some bands on them was actually a really neat opportunity for me i've never been been able to uh you know have that close proximity uh to duskies there aren't very many of us within ducks unlimited that that have that regular or even 
uh, intermittent opportunity to to get out and get our hands on birds. We're not, there aren't a whole lot of us that do that kind of work anymore. I think most of us in the sort of bio, biology and science discipline within Ducks Unlimited at some point in time had, had the opportunity to get out and assist with banding, but there's a whole lot of other things on our plates these days that, that kind of keep us from getting out and doing that kind of stuff, right? Absolutely, yes. Um, the main priority of my job is uh, delivering habitat projects um, once those duskies come down the flyway uh, so that they have habitat down here. Duskies as well as other waterfowl. If you guys look up Blake Richard, he was our intern this year uh, up in Cordova. And uh, if you look up Dusky Blog or Dusky Intern, uh, that should come up. All right. That, that's good. We'll have to look into that and encourage other folks to do that as well. You learn a little bit about the type of work that goes on up there. And, and it's exciting to know that there is work occurring in uh, in Alaska and some of these other goose colonies. I would imagine that that was curtailed back in 2020 a bit, but uh, I think uh, probably started to gear back up last year and probably probably pretty close to full swing again up there this year, right? Yeah, it sounds like it was it was mostly full swing this year. Uh, but yeah, there are some data gaps from the last couple of years uh, dealing with COVID. So Kelly, you've we've talked about some of the work that you do with duskies in the field. We've talked about some of the habitat work, but I but you also mentioned that you got interested in this because of getting out in the field with your father, your grandfather, and hunting uh, the geese out there. How often, I know you still get out and do that, how often do you get out during a normal year? How many days do you spend chasing these birds? Uh, so, that, that's a loaded question, uh, <laughs> but, I, but I would say... Uh, I am fortunate to live in an area, you know, I live, I live in the, in the middle of my region and I live close proximity to, you know, an area that I grew up in and where my family actually has purchased some property that has been my, my basically Ducks Unlimited project since I was really little. And so I have the opportunity to manage that with my dad and other family. And, uh, that allows me to definitely hunt more, uh, than, you know, an average person who might be able to, you know, who is going on public land or asking for permission on private land or those types of things. But as far as, as far as geese go, um, we have a late season that I definitely focus a lot of my goose hunting efforts, uh, uh, during that late season and that's when duck season has subsided so it starts around the 5th of february and goes to march 10th and that's mostly to address depredation that geese do here on farm fields in the willamette valley okay so what i got out of that was above average you didn't give me a quantitative uh, answer there and that's fine but i got above average out of that <laughs> that is above average for okay. sure all right fair enough I, I'm, I'm envious wait where you are there where you do most of your hunting uh, which species and, and kind of which populations of the geese that we're going to be talking about do you primarily have the opportunity to harvest? Sure. So uh, in the area where I'm at, which is the Mid Willamette Valley, uh, we mostly are focused. The majority of the wintering geese here are cackling Canada, uh, cackling, cackling geese actually. So they are uh, scientific name is Minima. So it's the they are geese that nest on the Yukon Kuskokwim Delta and then come down to the Willamette Valley in Southwest Washington. And are they the overwhelming majority of the of the birds that you would be harvesting, or are there others that kind of get mixed in there as well? I would say eighty to eighty five percent cacklers, ten percent duskies to keep you on your toes, yeah. and then uh, 
mix of of taverners in there as well, uh, which are the the three primary. That kind of gives us a good segue to talk about, to sort of set up this episode and begin talking about the different populations, the different species of geese that that people in the Pacific Flyway, hunters in the Pacific Flyway, are going to have an opportunity to, to interact with. And you know, this is a conversation that. I absolutely have to have some assistance with, and uh, to be more honest, I actually just kind of have to, I'll ask the questions and I'll turn it over to you because I am, I have never professed to be an expert on, on all the different, uh, populations of geese and their migration paths and chronologies and how they may have changed and and their distributions. And so that's why you're on here. And although I do know that there are quite a number to distinguish among there in the Pacific Flyway. So why don't we just start there? Kelly, whenever I first asked you to do this, uh, to, to be the guest on this episode, and I said we wanted a, uh, a report on Pacific Flyway goose forecast. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big task, and you've created uh, some great notes here. Uh, so how many geese or, or populations of geese are we talking about? Uh, we're talking, well, as far as white cheek geese go, we're looking at, at seven and some of those are more present than others. Uh, so you have snow geese, white fronted geese and brant, and then you do have to throw in emperor geese, which winter in Alaska too, because they, they are also a, a Pacific flyway population. Um, but as far as white sheet geese go, the, the different subspecies we're going to be talking about are cacklers, Aleutians, taverners, and then for Canada geese are lessers, duskies, and westerns. Okay. And the snow geese that we're talking about here, uh, this is probably an opportunity to talk about the different populations of snow geese. Give us the rundown on that. When we think about Pacific Flyway snow geese, where are those primarily coming from? And then kind of contrast that with what folks in the central Mississippi and Atlantic flyways might be seeing. Sure. So my familiarity with the Pacific Flyway is equal to your unfamiliarity in the Pacific Flyway. So I won't touch on the Mississippi or Central, but uh, most of the snow geese in the Pacific Flyway come from Wrangell Island, Russia, and different kind of scattered parts of northern Alaska and into Canada. And those are broken up under the Pacific Flyway population. So there's two primary uh, two primary populations that come down the Pacific Flyway, the Pacific Flyway population and the Wrangell Island population. And that Pacific Flyway population, that's going to be what, Alaska, Western, uh, Western Canadian Arctic? That's, do I get that right? Yep. That is my understanding, yep. The other thing that I'll probably introduce here, and I suspect we'll touch on it multiple other times, is the role that our state biologists play in the management, provincial partners in Canada play in the management of these populations, all the data that, that are collected, and I know you're going to reference that. But, you know, we could have invited any number of people from the Pacific Flyway to join us for this conversation, to to lead this conversation. We certainly don't want to sell them short. They are the ones that 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 develop these goose management plans under the auspices of of the Flyway Councils and their technical committees. So uh, do you do you interact with that group a fair bit? I mean, maybe formally or informally, Kelly? I, I do so, but it's mostly on the on the technical side. It's it's usually the folks that are are not necessarily the the regulators, but it's the folks who are who are out there are trying to trying to do the science. And m- most of that comes from personal relationships I formed in Alaska years ago. Um, but I'm I'm very grateful to have those connections 
uh, just so that I can kind of pique my own curiosity on these geese and how they're doing, uh, as well as for the benefit of the work that we're doing here in Western Oregon on the habitat side. White-fronted geese is probably where we'll go next. I want you to just kind of talk briefly about about them the way we did for, for snow geese. Uh, where are these birds going to be breeding? And then what's their distribution going to be like there in the Pacific Flyway? Sure. So, and that's, uh, that's an interesting question because, uh, and we'll touch on that later with the drought down here in the, in the Pacific flyway, this, this winter, uh, might impact, uh, where, where some of these geese show up, but the two populations of white fronted geese that come down the Pacific flyway, as well as central Mississippi, um, the primary Pacific flyway population comes from the Yukon Kuskokwim Delta, uh, which is on the Western side of Alaska. And then, uh, quite a few of the mid continent birds come from Northern Alaska and the Yukon. Do those birds, in terms of their winter distribution, uh, do we want to talk about that now? I mean, what parts, do y'all get many of those in Oregon and uh, in Washington? Tell me, what's the deal on that? We do see them from time to time, especially on the way down and the way back up. <clears throat> and I think we're, we're starting to learn quite a bit with, uh, by using GSM callers. There's been some studies going on in California um, and I believe Alaska where we're lear- starting to learn the migration habits and the staging areas that come from that data. And that includes uh, another thing I'll throw in for white fronts, there is a small population of white fronts called tulies that are also highly regulated and uh, need special attention. And so a lot of that science has been focused around tulies as well as the Yukon, or the Yukon Kuskokwim Pacific population of white fronts, as well as snows and Ross. Uh, actually, right now is a great time to talk about white fronts because uh, the last few weeks here, they've definitely been coming down and, and are heading down towards uh, Sacramento Valley and uh, Central Valley, California. Now, do they stick around for very long whenever they come through Washington, Oregon? You know, kind of hit and miss, and there's no real reason why they some do stick around on certain years and some don't. I think I, it would be interesting to find some answers on that, but... It seems with the population being as high as it is, it seems like there is definitely increasing observations of white fronts, um, but that is all kind of subjective. Kelly, let's move on here. We'll probably come back to white fronts. Well, I know we'll come back to white fronts whenever we kind of talk about the population status and what what, uh, hunters may be able to expect. But you've mentioned cackling geese, Canada geese. We're going to come back to those. Emperor geese and black brant, probably not going to talk a whole lot about those. That's a fairly limited harvest opportunity out there but for those that are interested just quick snippets what can you say about emperors and black brant uh so emperors there there is a sport harvest in alaska and population objectives uh as far as those two go um and i one thing i want to say in regards to status report and update uh this is not representative of this breeding year uh all of the people that are on the ground uh, are gathering data are basically still crunching those numbers. So things that I'm going to be talking about are specifically correlated to the waterfowl population status report, uh, which you can find on uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services website. Uh, but as far as emperor geese go, uh, they did see a slight uptick uh, as far as the number. And those are basically based off spring coastal zone surveys uh, relating to breeding uh, emperor geese on the Yukon Coast Delta. So, so that would have been from twenty 
that would have been from earlier this year. Is that right? Uh, that would have been from the previous year. Okay, that's what I wanted to try to get get correct. So then, if you if that's interesting, that did they conduct surveys earlier this spring? They I they they did, and I think they're still I think they're still crunching those numbers. Ah, uh, okay, all right. So the numbers that you've got there from twenty twenty one. So okay, yeah, and and I will also say there was a, quite a few people who helped me with putting this together. Uh, that, like you said, there is a a plethora of expertise and uh, people who are probably more qualified to be on this podcast than I am. <laughs> yeah, well, you were my go to person for this, and I know you're going to be contributing a ducks on. Uh, an article to the Ducks Unlimited magazine here a little bit later on. I don't exactly know the date on that or the the month in which that's going to appear, but nevertheless, like I said, you're you're our expert, our local expert out there within uh, within Ducks Unlimited. Much appreciated. Uh, and then as far as Brant go, uh, there's, again, there's kind of the Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta population and the Northern Alaska population. And they also saw a slight increase in numbers from the previous year. And that's that's yet to be determined for, for what this year's breeding did. But their, and their surveys are winter surveys. They're a cumulative number of wintering surveys from Eisenbeck and Cold Bay all the way down to Baja. Okay. Well, I will be, uh, I'm taking some annual leave here in a few weeks, mid-October, and I'm going to actually be going up to Cold Bay and we'll be checking out that place firsthand. So I'm not sure if this episode will have aired by then, but it might have a, a report sometime thereafter. And that's uh, had a, a, an invitation to go join some friends and colleagues on that. And so we are going to, I'm looking forward to that. I've never been to I've never been hunting in Alaska. The only time I've been there is for a conference in Anchorage. And so this is a first for me. It's one of those bucket list trips and I'm I'm certainly looking forward to it. I've been very fortunate to also go to Eisenbeck and you will witness as long especially if you're able to get out in boats and the weather isn't too bad, you'll be able to witness some pretty astounding uh staging birds up on Eisenbeck Lagoon. I'm ready to go. Can't wait. I, I guess, you know, whenever we're talking about, as we go through the rest of this update here, we're going to get into the, to the the species that I guess are going to be more abundant and that a lot more people are going to see more important in the harvest. Um, what are, beyond kind of what you've already told us, how do you, how do you want to kind of couch this? Uh, I mean, in terms of the data, most of this coming from, from a prior year, but what else do people need, need to know in terms of what we'll be talking about? Like, how do they interpret what we're going to be saying? It's not like we're not giving a full flight forecast or anything of that nature, but it's, uh, how would you, how would you have people interpret some of this? I was going to say, uh, you know, most of the, uh, we can talk, talk about the specific populations or we can talk about kind of the spe- specific trends that hunters are going to, uh, going to see coming down the flyway. And you already touched on one really important one, which is we don't necessarily know what the geese are going to do with lack of water. But I think in general, we can kind of say some blanket statements like, uh, snow goose populations are, high and increasing and uh snow goose hunting for pacific flyway hunters looks bright especially because there's you know liberal bag limits and opportunity uh for snow goose harvest and a lot of these snow geese are even showing up in other areas where uh they historically have not wintered uh, before and forming little uh, other populations uh, up and down the flyway so uh, you know, you can say something to that degree, uh, you know, but then you, if you dig into kind of the species that are, are very focal to, 
uh, and important for Pacific Flyway management like hacklers or duskies that's where that's where folks in the you know the permit zone areas so southwest washington and oregon are are definitely going to be taking some notes because those are the primary birds that we see kelly that's that's some great kind of context for how we might think about these and how people can interpret this as we get into some of the numbers and i think that's where we want to go next you've got some great notes here on sort of general population trends and status for these different uh, groups of birds but first let's take a quick break and then we'll jump we'll come back and we'll we'll get into the numbers Does that sound good? Yep. everybody welcome back we are here on this episode discussing the pacific flyway goose populations is a sort of quick update on what folks uh, what hunters may be able to expect this fall we've got kelly warren here with us and kelly we're going to jump right into some of the data that you provided for us you did a lot of homework here and i appreciate that and so we're going to start off with cacklers what can you tell us about population status trends uh, that might be important to hunters that are going to be heading out and chasing some of those Sure. So, uh, Cackler's uh, management goal is 250,000, and uh, last year's numbers brought it down to around uh, 206, and, and I, I believe that definitely called into question bag limits and other things, and Oregon and Washington uh, both concurred that a, a three-bird bag limit is uh, needed for trying to reach that goal of 250,000. Uh, the, the number from this year's status report, uh, bumped that number up slightly, which definitely helps, but we still are not to that management objective. So it will be up to managers and the flyway council to, uh, see what happens next. And we also still don't have the breeding survey data from this year, which will definitely play a role in how best to manage cacklers up and down the flyway. And the reason cacklers are important is because they are both a subsistence uh, subsistence goose for uh, uh, native populations in Alaska, as well as you have then conflicting issues with farmers down here on the Pacific flyway uh, uh, depredating crops. So it's all a matter of balance. And when we're talking about cacklers here, we're talking about cackling, cackling geese, right? Y- yes, we are. We're okay. talking about minim- <laughs> minima. Anything else about cacklers that we want to talk about here before we move on to some of the other populations? Sure. Well, um, cacklers, uh, are ca- now that they have separated cackling geese and Canada geese, uh, uh, other geese fall within that cackling goose uh, uh, definition, and that includes taverners and Aleutians as well. And so let's see, uh, taverners, let's just go there next. What can you tell us about those? Sure. So um, they're hard to study. Uh, They uh, just by by their behavior, they breed much differently than than other geese. They're spread. They're spread apart. And so getting good numbers on those is much more difficult. And that's both for taverners and lessers. Um, We're hoping to learn more about taverners and lessers in Alaska, uh, and how we can better identify their population. Uh, so the numbers that they have are based off of the Arctic coastal plain, uh, again, a, an aerial survey that is done and taverners look like they had a slight increase and lessers 
looks like they had a slight decrease from 2019. And 2019 is the last time that they were able to uh, get a flight for those birds. And we're, we're again, already kind of mixing apples and oranges here because we're talking about taverners as a subspecies of the cackling goose and then lessers as a subspecies of the Canada goose, right? Yep. Yeah, so that that's okay. I'm just kind of wanting to, <laughs> wanting to clarify as, as we go through this. And so when we talk about taverners, what's the primary harvest location for those birds? So there, there, and honestly, there's not been a lot of research done on taverners. So a lot of the, a lot of the, the studies have been were done in the '80s, and they kind of break them up into subgroups of you know coastal taverners versus you know coastal inland taverners, and then North Slope. So there's kind of um, a mixing and matching of of where those birds occur all over the state of Alaska, as well as lessers. Well, but then what about their wintering distributions and where they would be Oh, wintering distribution. Yeah. We're also hoping to learn more about that. Uh, and again, not a lot of data on that. Uh, they're hard to mark. They're hard to, they're hard to determine. Uh, in general, taverners can be found in uh Northwest Oregon, Washington, maybe even as high as British Columbia, uh, into the Columbia Basin, uh, and and I would say that's a pretty good coverage for for the typical areas taverners are found. Well, with that kind of covered, I do want to move on to a really bright story. At least it's a bright story from my perspective. Aleutian cackling goose. Uh, talk to us about that. I see here from your note, it's up to an all-time high, around 215,000. Now, that's a, that's a subspecies for which, uh, like a couple of decades ago, there was significant concern about the persistence of that population or of that subspecies, right? Yeah, um, and I'm going to pull up uh, the article that you referenced that I'm writing right now because I kind of have the information on that. Ah, okay. But uh, in general, Aleutians were at an all uh, were a Endangered Species Act uh, bird, and Aleutian geese were put on federal endangered species list in 1967. And at the time uh, of and and there was a lot of management factors that were taken into place, mostly. Uh, from my understanding, uh, eliminating predators uh, that helped them reach a sustainable level of sixty to seventy thousand when they were taken off the list, and now we have a large number of of Aleutians within the Pacific Flyway, uh, and is over two hundred thousand now uh, for the, for this year's population status number. And that. That subspecies of goose is it primarily goes to California. Is that right, or is do I remember correctly that maybe their just their wintering distribution is kind of shifting a little bit, maybe north into Oregon, Washington? Tell me about that. So there was always always some that that kind of stayed in Oregon, and we definitely illusions. I would not say are uncommon in the Willamette Valley, um, but they definitely are part of probably the one or two percent that is found here. Uh, There's not in, in large numbers like they are in Northern California, Humboldt, uh, Central Valley, uh, areas like that. Uh, but they can be found in Oregon as, and what I'm sure are found in, in Southwest Washington too. And I do know that those birds do migrate up and down the coast as they come down as well, staging in different spots. Primary harvest locations for those birds is Central Valley? No, yeah. Uh, or I would say, I would say coastal California. Okay. Coastal California. What kind of habitats are they using there? 
agricultural fields, dairy fields, uh, uh, probably a mix and match of, of uh, grain fields as well, uh, silage corn. Uh, I have actually not gotten down there and seen those birds, but that, from my understanding, that those are the primary fields that they're using. Okay, whenever I picture coastal California, I think primarily rocky landscape, steep cliffs, but I know there's the Sacramento River Valley the, the, or the Sacramento Delta. Um, I think I have that right. And then there's probably a few other river deltas. That's probably the source of some of those agricultural fields along coastal California? Absolutely. Okay. And that would be around Humboldt, um, there, the Sac Valley, where else? I was going to say probably probably Central Valley too. Okay. All right. What else on, on Aleutians then? Their trend looks pretty pretty good. Uh, it seems that their, their breeding grounds are fairly stable for increasing populations. Okay. So if you're in an area where you are, are have an opportunity to harvest uh, uh, Aleutians, you probably it would be a be a good year. I mean, or, you know, it's sort of average. Is that where you'd start? Yep. You know, this this then gets into talking about uh, kind of hunting strategy as well as, as uh, you know, bag limit. So, you know, down in California, my understanding is, is you can shoot quite a few illusions in your bag every day. And I've heard from, you know, hunters both in Oregon as well as, as California that they're getting kind of harder and harder to hunt every year. And so to, is that attributing to hunting pressure? And, you know, what are is the total harvest level? Uh, you know, is, is it keeping these populations in check or or is it not enough to impact the population yeah well we'll just have to kind of keep an eye on that but yeah if you're out there in those areas where you're going to get some illusions um you don't know no huge change at least that we can we can uh, discern from the data is what it sounds like still in good condition and from a population status level so get out and enjoy that resource and maybe you can outsmart them this year and let's see where do we want to go now maybe perhaps let's just talk about the different subspecies of canada geese remind me again we obviously have duskies and what are the uh, lessers are there any others that we that we encounter out there uh, Western Canada geese, those are the ones that breed locally. Uh, and in general, those populations in most areas are doing fairly well. Uh, there's a lot of early season hunts, some of which are going on right now and people are taking advantage of that target those birds specifically. Uh, and, and, but yeah, those are our, those are our local, our local geese. Now, are those the same as what we refer to over here as the giants or is that a different subspecies? That, that's a different subspecies. But are they of a larger size than they are they are so their duskies are fairly large probably between six and eight pounds and then westerns are probably at that seven to ten pound range on average but their population is doing good continues to be making good use of 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 that kind of I mean, are they urban, suburban nesting birds? Like, oh, like yeah. Gi- they are? Okay. Yeah, there's plenty of, I would say, uh, golf courses and other urban locations are a hot spot. Okay, that's the source of those birds. Well, what about uh, duskies? We've talked about that, yeah, unless there's another update on duskies. Obviously, it's a closed season on duskies. Um, any read on changes in their population size? Uh, slight bump in this year's population, a couple hundred birds. Uh, a lot of those surveys uh, both incorporate Middleton Island 
Island as well as the Copper River Delta. And those are what's called fixed visibility surveys. So a lot of those are aerial. Uh, there are nest plot surveys that also happen, uh, as well as a multitude of other studies that are going on that that uh, many partners are involved with, um, you know, making sure that, that duskies are at least sustaining. And from a population size standpoint, we're talking about a pretty, you know, relatively speaking, pretty small population size. I'm looking at the numbers here around 13,000. Um, so it kind of puts that into perspective with respect to cackling, cackling geese and the Aleutians. Um, any idea on, let's see, lessers? Um, I guess that would be the next one here, lesser Canada geese. Any idea on population size and status for that one? Kind of like taverners, they're hard to, you know, not over, they're not really a, a survey focus. They're hard to find. They're spread out. And so a lot of the numbers on them, uh, from my understanding, are, are uh, you know, uh, they basically have their surveys and they have, you know, where they analyze the population. And those are dropping a little bit. Uh, but But I don't think there's... You know, there's definitely some efforts being made to understand uh, these birds a little better. Anything else on the white-cheeked goose front before we move on? We have a few other species here that we want to talk about. We're probably not going to spend much time on brant or emperors. Again, that's a fairly limited harvest opportunity for the location of those birds. But uh, anything on the re- anything remaining on the white-cheeked geese before we move on here? No, I will say I want to thank I want to thank some of the folks in Alaska for kind of walking me through how some of these surveys are done and my understanding of them, and uh, hopefully I am accurately portraying uh, how how this data is gathered. Yeah, absolutely. And if if anybody out there hears something that maybe we didn't get quite right, let us know. We'll follow up and, and try to provide a little correction or provide some additional information. If you have any of that kind of feedback, you can email us at dupodcast at ducks.org. Always great to hear from folks. And with that, let's kind of, we've already talked about snow geese a little bit just in terms of where they're those, those populations originate from in terms of the Western Canadian Arctic and Wrangell Island in Russia. But let's talk about the status of those. Uh, let's just start with the, the Wrangell Island population. What do you know about that? Does that population continue to increase? Yes, that population definitely has increased and populations continue to remain strong. We don't have a good handle, again, like on, on most of these, on, on what this year's breeding uh, showed. However, uh, for there there's a couple data gaps and so this year we really are looking forward to seeing what this year's breeding estimate was but based off of what came down the flyway last year it seemed that that uh this population is is definitely increasing i think your take-home point here is that Pacific Flyway snow geese, whether we're looking on Wrangell Island, whether we're looking at the Western Canadian Arctic, those populations continue to grow by the, all indications, at least that, that that's what I think I'm hearing. So from a hunting perspective, that's, that's a good deal from, from opportunity, but it also poses some challenges farther down the, down the flyway in the Central Valley and perhaps some other areas. Is that a fair characterization in terms of sort of overall upward trend and, and then the other things I mentioned? Yes, absolutely. And it seems that in the last several years, a lot of the a lot of the snow geese that are in in Washington um, and Oregon uh, definitely have a very high juvenile to adult ratio. So it's fair to assume that even though we may not have counts for some of those COVID years, that uh, th- those populations are on the increase. And and then with reference to perhaps some of the concern 
around that growing snow goose population in the Pacific Flyway. This is where we can talk about drought again. And of course, Dr. Mark Petrie has talked with us about this before. I think he had an article in the DU Magazine where he referenced some of this. That large population of snow geese, and I guess white fronts as well, that that make it to the Central Valley of California are competing for the same resources that ducks are competing for in that Central Valley of California. And um, this year, as we have heard, there are there's a crunch uh, in terms of both water as well as rice production. Uh, rice production was down somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 percent, and 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 we also have heard about uh, significant water restrictions. And so, while snow geese and white fronts don't necessarily require water for some of that field feeding, um, there nevertheless is going to be a reduction in the amount of rice waste grain on the landscape because of that reduction in the amount of planted rice to begin with. So uh, all those things combined, less rice, less water, is going to make for an interesting situation in the Central Valley this year in terms of seeing how many birds concentrate on the limited habitat that's out there and what those birds might do in response to that. You have any you have any prognostications for us there, Kelly? I don't. I'm, I'm actually super anxious to see what this fall is going to bring, though, because if we... You know, if if all of a sudden there's only a fraction of the birds that are down wintering in that area than there was prior, okay, where do those birds go? Are they going to come back up into southwest Oregon, northwest Oregon? Are they going to go over onto the coast? You know, where are those birds going to have to find the resources that they need on the wintering grounds to go back up at breeding grounds and breed successfully? Or, uh, you know, where are these birds going to end up showing up? You know, this year is, it continues to be interesting as we find ourselves still navigating the wake of uh, the, the interruption of the data streams as a result of travel restrictions, COVID-19, all that kind of stuff. We're, 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 we're not fully clear of all of that yet, some of which is because of the, the nature of the timing of the surveys that we're talking about here for, for geese. They're, they're not covered in that annual not all covered in that water in the annual waterfowl breeding population and habitat survey. There are some estimates and some graphs and some reports uh, in the report uh, covering these different populations. But as you read through that, you realize that we're, as you said, Kelly, we're still not uh, we're, we're not caught up at least in terms of some of those some of the pieces of that data stream. So it feels like we're still. Um, I don't want to say completely in the dark, but we haven't yet fully emerged from from the cloud that that COVID brought, uh, that COVID put us under. That would you agree with that? I would totally agree with that, and specifically on those birds in the Pacific Flyway that are that are looked at very carefully um, because of their population status. Uh, uh, but yeah, I totally agree. And and so that's why, as you said. As we go forward this year and then into next spring, going to be really interesting to see what uh, what those data points are for these different populations of geese. I guess, Kelly, let's move to a bit of a wrap-up here. We haven't talked a whole lot about white fronts, um, I guess, before we get to a wrap-up. Anything else, anything I'd like to say from a white front perspective, population status, population trend as it would affect uh, Pacific Flyway hunters? You know, they're they're pretty consistent as far as what their their numbers have been for a while. Um, they're way over objectives uh, for the Pacific Flyway population. Uh, and it'll just continue to be interesting to see what happens uh, with white fronts as a lot of their wintering ground resources uh, aren't 
in production anymore. So I think that's the only thing I'll add. Yeah, okay. I think we mentioned uh, objectives a couple of times, and so it's probably worth following up or at least clarifying that when we talk about those objectives for goose populations, we're talking about those generated through those flyway uh, or, or through the, the man- goose management plans created by the Pacific Flyway Council in the tech section, right? Correct. Absolutely. And honestly, um, you know, I remember being in high school and wanting to find out more about how these birds were managed. Um, I think all the flyways have basically uh, resources where you can tap into those management plans for a given flight and learn more about how they come up with the numbers that they do, including, you know, the numbers that we're talking about today, uh, the different surveys that are are a part of how those numbers are articulated. Um, it is it is a very uh, thorough <laughs> uh, process for making sure that you know everything is balanced as far as making sure that these resources are here for the future. Another way of saying that is that if you want to f- locate and download all these reports and then read them and dig into the tables, you can get drunk on data. I think is a safe way of saying that. One hundred percent, and I'm sure you've done that a time or two, right, Kelly? <laughs> uh, more, probably more often than I should. Yeah. So, from a high level, let's kind of recap. Like, if somebody comes up to you in the office, say, "Hey, Kelly, how's the Pacific Flyway Goose outlook looking uh, for this year? How's it shaping up?" What do you tell them? Sort of one or two minute encapsulation encapsulation of all that we've talked about over the past hour. That's a complicated question. Do you want the one-minute version or the 45-minute version? No, I think uh, at this point, we're going to go with the one. I'll give you two minutes. Let's do it in two. Exactly. So, no, that's where that's where you can get into the weeds. But in general, and even across all flyways, goose populations in general are doing really well, except for a few populations within the Pacific Flyway where we're having to um, decrease bag limits uh, on on cackling geese and of course duskies are illegal uh, to to shoot in uh, Oregon and Washington and in the permit zone specifically. So you know you have to factor those things in. But in general, goose populations uh, in the Pacific Flyway, with the exception of a few, are doing awesome. And so, if you are interested in getting out there and chasing the the, the geese in the Pacific Flyway, sounds like it's going to be another. A uh, great year for opportunity. We can never promise great harvest because that's uh, that's mostly up to you. It's mostly up to a whole lot of other factors as well. But uh, yeah, that, it, appreciate Kelly you you being here and you doing all the research to kind of help us understand what's going on there as best we can. As I mentioned, kind of still under, going through some limitations in that data stream, trying to catch up on that. Uh, before we close out here, I did want to give you another opportunity to thank all the people that are involved in the collection of the data and that may have helped you uh, pull together a lot of this a lot of this information yeah absolutely thank you for that opportunity because uh, i definitely owe a lot of this to their efforts and uh the work that they're doing on the ground uh overseeing a lot of these surveys and other things so um julian fisher with us Fish and wildlife service tasha demarzio with alaska department of fish and game kyle spragans and brandon righteous who are the state coordinators for oregon and washington um they really kind of helped guide me through uh our t- doing my best to articulate uh, what we discussed here today. 
And a final reminder for anyone that is going to get out and try to hunt uh, any of these goose populations in the Pacific Flyway or any flyway for that matter, make sure you check your local, state, federal regulations to ensure that you uh, that you're in compliance with everything related to the hunting of these species. We we certainly do not profess to uh, to be the ones that that share all of those regulations. So that uh, that's still up to you. Make sure you get out there and check those regs and get out and and enjoy the resource. It's another great year and the time is upon us. And Kelly, thanks again for joining us here. And we hope to catch up with you sometime again in the future. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. And head west. I'll uh, We can take you out anytime. I'd love to do it, and I'll take you up on that. A special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Kelly Warren, regional biologist with Ducks Unlimited out in western Oregon. We appreciate all of his time and that he invested in getting us this great information on Pacific Flyway geese. We also thank our producer, Chris Isaac, who does a terrific job with these episodes and getting them out to you. And then to you, the listener, we thank you for your time. We thank you for your support and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation, and we encourage you to have a great hunting season this year. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks.